Uh, if you're not a church person, you uh, maybe have never been to church, or you've only gone to church a little bit, and you come to church, church is weird. Uh, it's it's a very strange thing. It's uh, it's it, in order for people who've been to church for a long time to sort of understand it, uh, we need to go to like a different kind of you know uh, like if you go to um, say Catholic mass, you'll be like what what's going on here, you know, or something like that to, to get a sense of how how strange sometimes uh, religious worship can be. For example, uh, for people who aren't you don't grow up in church, it's weird when uh, when we sing, like they're like oh. Maybe you're like that. You're like, oh, that's a little weird. I'm uncomfortable with that. In fact, most people uh, don't really like singing because uh, they hear themselves, and, they, and if they're not tone deaf, they know that they don't sound great. And so they're like, ah, oh, I'll just I'll let the leader guy take care of that. That's cool. And then on top of that, you know, you're singing, and uh, you're. It's just weird for us. We're, we're used to like pop music and, and that sort of thing, and so it's weird for us to be singing too. Um, to God. That's just, it's a weird thing for people. It's also weird for people when uh, they come in and they're like, oh, you want me to give you money? <laughs> really? How about you give me something first? <laughs> like, I, I, I got up early and I came to see you and now you're, you're going to like make me come, take out my checkbook? That's weird. That's a very strange thing in our culture. It's, it's bizarre. It's weird. Uh, and if you, if you uh, have, have, oh, and then of course, uh, you know, if they're familiar with, with church at all, the, kind of what they expect or what they're sort of looking forward to is like the lecture. They know that they're getting out of bed on Sunday and they're going to come and they're going to get some kind of lecture uh, where some person's going to tell them something presumably about the Bible or God or something like that. And, and, and afterwards, ideally, uh, they'll, I don't know, know something more or something like that. But you can see that this is completely outside the regular sort of uh, ex- experience of, of people who aren't familiar with, with a ton of church. Now, if we're in church, what's weird is we've been doing it so long. And if, you've, if you're one of the people who's grown up in church and you've been, say, at Coast, I've been here since 1990. So, I mean, I, it's like I know this so well. Like, and, and, you, and you completely miss how bizarre it is the, uh, of what, what we do. And you may have never really stopped and asked. Because you grew up in it, you were a child, this is what you did. You just assumed this was normal. You have never asked the question, why is church the way it is? Why do we do what we do? I mean, it, it, from the outsider's perspective, what we do is bizarre. From, from the perspective of the people who've been here for a long time, you don't know anything else. And neither of us may have asked the question, why is church the way it is? Why do we do what we do? Um, I, I would like us to, to look, we're going to look at a, a, a part of the scriptures today where um, it's a psalm and it, and it kind of explains or it sort of uh, sets the stage for what worship was like in ancient Israel. And I would like us to see what it was like for, for ancient peoples to worship and I would like us to compare that in a way with what we do and see if they line up or if it's different and if so, why? And, and ultimately I want us to be able to answer the question, why are we here and what are we doing? So let's, um, let's take a look. Uh, oh yeah, don't forget to party. That's a cool title. I like that. Uh, let's take a look at the text uh, together. It's a short psalm. It's on the screen. It's coming. Uh, Mom, what is it? is it? Do we need a new computer? Okay, there, there's why is the chair. That's the question. Good, next. There it is. Did, I thought we replaced that computer. Did we not? It's not the computer. It's the software. We got to go to Mac. We got to go to Apple. They know what they're doing over there. Yeah. They're crazy and they're probably fascist, but they make quality products. All right. 
Psalm 100. Raise a joy. Oh, this is my, uh, this is my translation, um, from the Hebrew. Uh, it's really, I've designed it to just try and to make it sound the way that it would have sounded, um, to a person, uh, at that time to us now. So this is, uh, this is, raise a joyful cheer for the Lord, all the earth. And presumably then people would go, yeah! Be like, hip hip hooray. Celebrate as you serve the Lord. Come before him with joyful singing. Know that the Lord is God. He made us. We belong to him. We are his people, the sheep of his pasture. Enter his gates with gratitude. Enter his courtyards with praise. Thank him. Bless his name. Because the Lord is good. His loyal love lasts forever. His faithfulness goes from generation to generation. All those verbs are, are like, they're, they're active, you know. Um, let's take a, a look at, again, it's, it's, uh, highlight just a few things. Look at uh, the enter. Enter his gates with gratitude. Enter his courtyards with praise. It's, uh, it's a very strange uh, notion for us to, like, enter his gates. That sounds metaphorical to us, right? Uh, we sound, it sounds like um, enter, like, well, we don't have gates. The interesting thing about this psalm is that this was the psalm that was used before an actual temple worship service. So there would be a guy who's out, who's out front, maybe with like a bullhorn or something like that, and he's going, okay, everybody, we're going to enter, and the gates are closed, right? And the gates are closed, and they're about to get opened, Right? And, and once you, once you enter the gates of the temple, what's gonna happen is you're gonna walk into, uh, the various courtyards of the temple. The temple was divided in a bunch of different places. And so you can imagine, this is, this, 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 uh, was actually done for hundreds of years before every single temple worship service. Some guy would get out there and a psalm like this one or a variation of it, he would be yelling this to the people, kinda like, getting them pumped up. Like, get excited. It's about to happen. You're literally gonna go in here. When I was, uh, well, really, my t- I don't really go to, to music, to concerts that much anymore. Um, I've noticed that every year past 30, I've gone to fewer and fewer rock shows. Um, in fact, I was supposed to go to a Japan Droids concert on Tuesday, but I couldn't find anyone to go with me, and I was tired. And I was like, you would have gone, JT? Oh, all right, next time, man. Okay, JT will go. Um, I, I, yeah, so I just, I just waved it off. I was like, ah, oh, whatever. But I remember. I remember in college. I remember, um, my favorite band in my 20s was Pedro the Lion. Pedro the Lion was a, a it was this guy, David Bazan, and he, he wrote about faith, and he wrote about, um, uh, just the way that life actually is uh, in relationship to God. And, and his lyrics moved me. And I remember when he was coming to North Carolina, that's where I was in school, when he was coming, he, um, I would get tickets months in advance, and I would be so excited to go. And uh, the Cat's Cradle, which was the club where he would play in North Carolina, was about two hours away from our school. So a group of us would carpool, and we would, you know, travel out to near Chapel Hill, and uh, and we would, you know, get go to Steak and Shake, and, and and get some food, and get ready, and then we'd get to the the venue. The venue, the Cat's Cradle, opens at eight p.m., and we get in there, and and then there's some schmo that we don't know sitting up there strumming the guitar. We're like, ugh. This guy is the opening act. If you've ever been to a rock concert, you know about opening acts. We have a picture of the opening act. Oh, it's sad. Oh, it's so sad. What do you think it would cost to get, like, a good solid Mac? Because I know somebody here will, like, write a check. They'll do it if we just ask. What do you think? 2000 I'm going to say 2000 Maybe it's less. We'll see. Uh it, there was going to be a picture of, uh, of, of the opening act. Nobody, oh, he's here? Okay, cool. No, th- look at this guy. You can tell that he's, that no one likes him. Um, 
and he's going to live his life in obscurity. But, uh, but he's really trying hard. He's really trying to get people into it. He's like, he's like, oh man, come on, get excited, get excited. They're, the reason for an opening act is uh, to actually it's to irritate you when you go to a rock concert. It's true. Because you go to the show and you're like, oh man, I can't wait to see Pedro the Lion. I'm so excited. And then there's this guy who's like, ah, you say and you're like, no, no, you're, good luck, pal. Uh, you're never going to make it. Um, and then you're sitting there and you're looking at your watch like, dude, when's it going to come on? And in my experience, I mean, you're there, doors are at 8, you're probably not going to see the main act till like 10 p.m. So you're sitting there for two hours waiting. And during that time, you're sitting there and you're getting like, you're getting more and more like, like, oh man, I can't wait to see this, the, the real band. And the guy up front, that guy right there, every, after every song, he'll say something like this, like, how y'all doing? People are like, eh. And he's like, you excited to see Page of the Line? Yeah! We can't wait! And then someone like me will be like, so get off the stage! Just breaks his heart every time. It's cute. I mean, horrible, but also cute. Um, that's exactly what's going on in Psalm 100. There's the guy out front of the gates. He's the opening act, and he's like, get ready, everybody. Are you pumped? Are you pumped to come here and, and get excited about God? And the people, are, they, they've come, they've traveled far, from far, far away. I mean, Jerusalem Temple, there are people from all over Palestine, sometimes all over the world, traveling. This is sometimes a once-in-a-lifetime experience for people. And they're sitting there at the gates, and the guy's like, are you ready to rock? And they're like, yeah! It's not actually too far of a stretch to say, this first thing in your note sheets, that, um, that uh, temple worship is a lot like a rock concert. <laughs> Aww. That's the first thing in your note sheets. Temple worship is a lot like a rock concert. And I'll, I'll bring out a few uh, more of these. Um, a big event. I think I was, originally that was supposed to be a rock concert, event, whichever. Um, and I'll bring out some of these, uh, these parallels. But let's go back to the text and, and, and see some more. Raise a joyful cheer for the Lord. Celebrate as you serve. Enter his gates with gratitude. Uh, enter his courtyards with praise. Thank, bless. Uh, and, and literally that first verse is like, it's like, it's like, okay guys, we're gonna do it, we're gonna do a cheer. And when it actually happened, you know, thousands of years ago, th- there would probably be a pause after verse one and the people would go, yeah! And then he would, he would remind them, this is what you're gonna do, you're gonna celebrate as you serve. If you're familiar with older translations, it'll say something like, uh, worship the Lord with celebration. The Hebrew there really is just the word for serve. It's like you're going to give something to God. You're going to serve God here. And as you do it, I want you to do it with celebration. I want you to be excited about it as you do something for God. You're going to give him something. You're going to be happy while you do it. You're going to have joyful singing. You're going to have gratitude. You're going to have praise. You're going to thank. You're going to bless. These are all active verbs. They're all act- activities that, that, that we're, we're coming and bringing to God. And we're not familiar really with temple worship, but um, when it says serve there, they're think- the people are thinking about some very, very concrete practices that they're going to do when they get to temple. They're, they're sitting there at the gates. They're like, they're like we want to get in, we want to get in. The opening act is getting them pumped up, and they're excited about these things. I think I have uh, uh, some pictures here of the things that they'll be excited about. On the, uh, on the top right, uh, the, they're bringing some animals, and the priests are going to hold these animals, and they're going to bring them in, and there's going to be this the, kind of the culmination of the worship. They're going to literally kill an animal, and then they're going to they're going to skin it, and they're going to burn it. And that's the top left there. They're going to have like a huge barbecue, and and I, I emphasize this. It really was like a barbecue. It was it was like a big like 
uh, big barbecue party where everyone would have uh, plenty of meat. There'd be a big feast. People were going to be dancing. They're going to be like strumming stuff and, and banging on drums. Uh, and, and all of it, all of it is going to be like, God, this is for you. This is for you, God. We, we want you to enjoy this, this feast with us. Come. And they would all get together and they have a big meal. And all of your friends and family were there. It was like this just, it was an off-the-chain, complete, awesome party. Similarly, uh, when, you know, when we, if you, if you are a big fan of a, of a musician, like you go and, and you're, and you're there not just to, you know, receive from the musician. You're there and, and, the, and the rock band or whatever. You're there to participate with it. You know, you look at, you watch, uh, if you see the, watch the crowds, um, during rock concerts. No one, unless they're like really cool people from New York, nobody sits there like this. Yawn. No, no, I mean, when you see the, the like, especially the, the front load, the people are like, ah! They're singing along, they know every word to every song. This music has meant so much to them, and they're just pouring out energy and excitement to the band. They're almost, in some ways, in a position of praise sometimes towards these musicians that have given them so much. But whatever the case, the, the experience is not passive. It is not like, it's not like you go and then there's like a show that you sort of just watch. There is stuff going on and you can't participate in all of it. But as you can see, the service is going, it's very interactive here. You're eating, you're dancing, you're, you're yelling, you're shouting. There's lots of different things happening. That's the next thing in the note sheets. Um, temple worship is interactive and exuberant. It's a party for God. Party for God. When we go to rock shows, that's a party for us. You know, if you go to the theater, it's a party for you. The, really, the major difference is the, is the focus is shifted from our experience and our lives to, to God and who God is and, 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 and celebrating him. Let's look at the text again. Why? Why is this all happening? Why is there this experience, this interactivity? Why is it so much fun and everyone's having a great time and all this? Well, it's a response. It's, it's, he made us. We belong to him. We are his people, the sheep of his pasture. The opening act, he's, sit, he's sitting out there and he's like, are you getting ready for this? Here's why we're doing it, okay? This isn't just some, you know, run-of-the-mill God. This isn't like some, some failure God. This is the God. He's the one who created everything. He's the one who's taking care of us. He's like a shepherd. You're in his pasture. He's provided for you. He's come after you. He's, he's, He's fighting for you. He's liberating you. He's doing all of these things. The Lord is good. His loyal love lasts forever. Loyal love there is uh, my favorite Hebrew. Chesed. <coughs> said. It really is. It's, it's it, like mercy in your New King James. Uh, more modern translations will say uh, faithfulness or something like that. But really, it's God's, it's his committed, unending, committed love. He, he doesn't stop loving. He doesn't stop fighting for you. He doesn't stop chasing you. He comes after you. And the people of Israel know that. They've seen good times and bad times. They've been in and out. And through it all, God has remained faithful. The same God who liberated them and saved them is still with them. And they know this from generation to generation. This faithfulness goes. The, the, the opening act guy, he's yelling this. He's doing the same thing, getting these people charged up that, uh, that people hundreds of years were doing. They've been doing this for a long time. Every generation knows the same experience, the same thing is happening. And so when, when, when we get to a temple and we're going to worship, it's a response to who God is. The party is for God because we're responding to how awesome he is. 
is not that dissimilar from throwing a birthday party for somebody. You're celebrating them. They're awesome. They've done a great thing for you. Respond to their awesomeness by throwing them a party. Same deal. That's the next thing, your note sheets. Temple worship is a response to God's faithful love. Okay. So here you are, you get to the temple. I mean, animals are being butchered, blood is splattering everywhere, there's fire, people are dancing. I mean, just like what we do week to week, right? It's pretty much exactly the same thing. When people are like, oh man, I can't wait to go to church, hopefully someone on the top of the front of the stage will grab a bat and rip its head off with his, with his teeth, Ozzy Osbourne. Yeah, no, do, you, do you notice though that like, Ozzy Osbourne is about 2,000 years late? Like he did not invent that, okay? The temple worship was a very like, it was visceral, it was wild. And nowadays people are like, well, Let's find out. What do people, what do people expect when they come to church? This is a Gallup poll, 2017, just last year. They uh, interviewed um, regular churchgoers. You have to go at least two weeks out of the month um, to qualify for this, this survey. And this is what uh, people said. This is what appeals to them as churchgoers. So um, they listed all the things that they saw in church services, and they asked people, which, which of these matter the most to you? And this is what people said first. Sermons that teach about Scripture, 76%. Like, for example, if you came and were to learn about Psalm 100, for example, 76% of people are like, that matters the most. I need to know that I'm learning about the Bible. Next, sermons that help you connect religion to your life, 75%. Uh, Again, I'm talking about some sermons here, teaching. Did you hear anything about teaching in the temple worship service? Uh, but, but nowadays, nowadays, uh, churchgoers, 75% of people want to find a way that religion or scriptures or something connects to their everyday life, okay? So yeah, there will be practical application at the end. Don't worry about it. I'm on it. Number three, uh, spiritual programs that ach- uh, appeal to children or teens. In, uh, in temple worship, the kids, I mean, the priests are like, murdering this animal. And the kids are like, yeah! <laughs> like there's blood, they're like at the front of the stage, the blood splattering on them. That's only, that's only a slight exaggeration, by the way. Uh, but, but you see, the kids, the kids are they're a part of, of this. We, uh, t- typically, in, in modern church services, uh, one of the first things that happens is we send the kids away. In fact, our church is considered archaic because we let them stay in for communion and singing. And most churches are there. Sent off. Interesting, interesting, interesting. 64%. Okay, number four, number four. Lots of community outreach or volunteering. 59% of people say that this is extremely important to them as their uh, church shopping, is what it's called. Uh, and, and yeah, and that's, uh, we, that we do. We, uh, like, we have, you know, uh, Camp Allendale, we have Haiti. I mean, we have tons and tons of things that we, that we do, opportunities for, for volunteering. So we, we got that as well. All right, number five. Most importantly, dynamic, inspiring leaders. Uh, it's crazy. Religion is like a great way to become a celebrity, from what I understand. Uh, and, and 54% of churchgoers, uh, that's, that's what they're looking for. Uh, somebody uh, uh, that they can... Um, yeah. All right. Mm. That's weird, right? That's weird um, that that... that is, and I, I'm actually going to defend it. I'm not going to say that this stuff is bad, because it really isn't. But there's a reason for it. 
Like, uh, it's so interesting that that is, is what church is about now versus what church or temple worship was about in the ancient world. And I want to help you, help you explain why that shift happened um, so you can see that. And then I'd like us to think about how we ought to respond. So um, what's the next thing? I forget. Why is church the way it is? Yes. So why, why did we go from you know, killing animals and yelling to, uh, to what we do now? Um, I have a picture here of, the, uh, of a synagogue. A synagogue. Synagogue uh, is from the Greek soon and again, which means bring together or meeting together, something like that, etymologically. That's not always a great word to f- way to figure out what a word means um, because otherwise you would park on a parkway. When in fact you drive on a parkway and you park on a driveway. So just because the words that may, right, it's true. It's just because the words mean, like individually mean something doesn't mean they mean that together. Okay. But in this case, synagogue, uh, does actually mean meeting together. And it was, it was a place that the ancient Jews, uh, developed in order to have a, have a place to come together, uh, and, and be together. Why? Why? Well, this, this synagogue was, uh, found in Rome. This is a fourth century synagogue, uh, fourth century AD. It was, um, it was in, uh, greater Rome, not the city proper. But it was in the surrounding areas, and it's actually probably a pretty wealthy one. You'll notice that the um, the Jewish people who made this, uh, they had used actually Greco-Roman architecture, and so it looked not unlike um, an ancient pagan temple. Um, but it wasn't. It was for Jewish people to come together. Now, the Jewish people who would have come together here, they lived in Rome. Rome very far from Jerusalem, and before, and at this, at this point there is no temple, but in Jesus' day there was a temple, and so if you're a Jew in Rome, you almost never get to go to the temple. You, it's like, it's so hard to get there. It's a one, honestly a once in a lifetime probably opportunity to come to the temple for a major festival and participate in all of the things that happen at the temple. For your entire life, you may never get to hear the opening act guy go, and get ready, we're gonna celebrate God. You were never gonna hear that. Once, twice, Maybe ten times in your life. Because you live so far away and the ancient world doesn't have airplanes. So what do you do in these synagogues, these, these, these little tiny meeting places that are um, out there? They're, they're far away from the temple and they're these little meeting places for, for Jewish people to live. Well, I have some pictures. This is from a um, 19th century uh, French-Jewish artist, Edouard Moshe, Moise. This is, uh, these are examples of what a, a synagogue would have looked like. We know that um, this is pretty accurate because the New Testament talks a little bit about the synagogue. Um, when we first meet Jesus in the Gospel of Luke, when he inaugurates his ministry, he comes out on a, like a, on a Sunday, a Sabbath, and he goes to the little local synagogue. And what do they do there? Well, they're, they're, they read the scriptures. They read the scriptures. And then someone interprets the scriptures and gives them an example of what that means now. Jesus comes out and he reads uh, from Isaiah. It says, uh, good news, the poor are liberated. P.S., guys, you know what that means? It's happening right now. I'm starting it. So someone would come and say, this is what the scriptures say. This is God's word, and this is what it means. And Jesus did that. Uh, teachers would come, and they, and they would uh, gather and discuss and try to figure out what to make of it. Look, a Bible study, if you will, where they would get together in the middle of the week. They would uh, have children's programs so that kids could come and, and, and they would start to memorize the scriptures and learn about them. Why? Why is all this happening? Well, when the Israelites all lived in Palestine and they all uh, agreed on what you know religion was and who God was and all that, there was no need for anything like this. Everyone knew who God was, everyone knew what he was like, and everyone got excited about worshiping him. 
But then something happened. A hostile culture moved in. First, uh, you know, the Assyrian Empire, then the Babylonian Empire, then uh, the, the Greek empires, and the Egyptian empires, and then the Roman empires. And all the time they're sending people into Palestine. In fact, Jesus uh, grows up in, in Galilee right next to a major Greek settlement called the Decapolis. It shows up in the, in the Gospels. It's a place where everybody there thinks that Judaism is dumb. Everybody there thinks that Jews are fools for believing in this crazy, you know, all-creator God. And they're actually pretty successful in their lives. And they're telling the children of, of the Jewish people, why do, you, why do you go after that crazy little Yahweh God? He's a silly God. You know who's got power? Caesar has power. Caesar is a God you can worship. Caesar is a God you can get behind. He's the real deal. And that was attractive to kids. That was attractive to their parents. And so there needed to be some place where people could go and be safe and meet together and hear the truth about who God was and pass that on from generation to generation. The uh, next thing in your note sheets. Synagogues function now and functioned then as religious outposts, offering teaching and prayer and preserving and passing on authentic faith in the midst of a hostile culture. Now that sounds like what we're dealing with here. That right there sounds like something we need. Because we too are in the midst of a hostile culture. We too are having a hard time passing down the authentic, true faith from generation to generation. We too are having a hard time understanding what the scriptures mean because there's a lot of leader guys who will tell us. We, too, need a place that's safe. But that, I mean, so, so what I'm saying, I, 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 I think that, well, the, the way it happened is that uh, the early church was based on synagogues. Uh, if you read in the New Testament how they did their worship services, they sound pretty much just like what would have happened in a synagogue. Why? Because the early Christians were Jews who grew up in a synagogue. And so when they did Christian services, it was just synagogue with Jesus. That's, that's, that's all it was. And we uh, in the Protestant church have tried to reclaim that. And so it looks, Protestant churches tend to look like synagogues in an interesting way. Because we too are on the outs. We're in the midst of a hostile empire and we need some place that's safe to pass the faith on from generation to generation. Awesome. There's a problem. Because in our, in our, in our desire to do that, We've lost something. I mean, let's be honest. Maybe there's a few of you who are crazy, and, and you wake up on Sunday morning, and you're like, oh, yeah! And if, we, and if we, like, close the doors, you'd be, like, like right up there with your palms, like, your face pressed to the glass, being like, when's it going to start? I can't wait. Right? And we'd have someone come out there and be like, are you guys ready to worship? And you're like, yeah! You may want to go to a Pentecostal church. If you don't know what that is, you should YouTube it because it's awesome. All right. Amen. Uh, <laughs> 
No, but isn't that, isn't it strange? Isn't it strange that, um, that, that because we've gone so much in the vein of synagogue type worship, that we are, honestly, we're, we're in danger of forgetting to party. Like forgetting to party, forgetting to throw God an awesome party. Like we're like, like, give me some more of the Greek interpretation of the scriptures. That's what we do, right? Like that happens. And I'm like, okay. And no one's sitting there. Well, Doug. Doug is like, let's worship. And the rest of everyone's like, eh, okay. No, we, we, we are. We're awesome. We're awesome. I get it. I get it. I get it. But like, but isn't it interesting that like the very, the core, the, the very identity of Israelite worship is almost completely left out of church. And it's interesting too, because, um, it, honestly, uh, one of the, premier critiques of Protestant Christianity uh, began with Friedrich Nietzsche. He was a German philosopher uh, who was an atheist. And he said, one of the things that he said is he said that Christianity, and by that he meant Protestant Christianity, has taken the, um, the life out of religion. He looked um, at ancient religion, and it was. It was wild. It was interactive. It was, it was a party for God or the gods. And he was like, now all they do is they just get up there and... He's like, who needs that? That's not human. And he tapped into something. He tapped into something that we all know. There, there is a need in our hearts to, to worship something and like really let go and really worship something. I suggest to you that if you go to a rock concert and that band is somebody that you really love, They've, they, their music has meant so much to you and, and you, you care, it spoke to you. Page of the line. Everything David Bazan spoke to me and changed the way I thought about Christianity, changed the way that I, I thought about faith and, and, and made me question things and see new things. And it was so important to me, so, mattered so much that when you get there and he strums the first chord, it's like, woo! That's human. That's real. And the Protestant church, at least, has lost it to some extent. I promised you application. 75% of you think that application is very important, according to Gallup. I lied because I don't know what to say about this. Um, I, I don't know uh, exactly what it looks like to recapture uh, some of the... Well, we got... Uh, is, is there a picture of, um, of Hillsong United? Right. This is Hillsong United. They actually do this. They go out and they have worship services where the idea is to go and to have an experience that is like completely giving yourself over uh, and having a party for God. That's what Hillsong United does. That's their job. They go around, they throw parties for God. And that is one way that modern Christians have, um, have tried to recapture some, some of this. Um, I don't know that that's the, the be-all, end-all, uh, and certainly it's not something we can do week to week. But if we take the idea of temple worship, it's something, temple worship doesn't happen every week. It's not like all the time. Um, they, they, would, they would go to the temple, the people who lived in Jerusalem would go to the temple for festivals, Typically, and if you lived in Palestine, you go once a year, maybe for pa- Passover. So it's something that's it's it's pu- it's punctuated. It's not all the time, but from time to time, people needed to go and throw God a party. And for us now, what that means is we have to reset the way that we think, and we need to 
be honest, there is a part of us that needs to worship God, and we need to figure out ways where we can, with some regularity, come and just throw God a party. So to start, I'm just going gonna, gonna to throw this one out there. Uh, you guys tell me how it goes. But um, before we eat those hot dogs, I'm going gonna, I'm gonna to try and be the opening band. I'm going to be like, hey, here's some things that God's doing, things that God has done. How awesome is this God? There'll be a start. Um, some other possibilities we, we've been talking about. Now, so we have this awesome new sound system, uh, which is so rad. Uh, we've been talking about um, starting to do some, some worship and prayer nights, really wanting to re-engage uh, our prayer lives and our, and our worship lives in a really real way. That might be an opportunity for people, for y'all and, and your friends and family or whoever, to come and, and throw God a party. It might be that we reconfigure. I, I think the way we actually do our Thanksgiving services here is kind of like this. If you've never been to our Thanksgiving services, we uh, have an open mic and, and people come and just share how God's been faithful to them, which is very much like the opening band. Uh, in Psalm 100. That's a way where we punctuate uh, the, the, the year of our worship with different special times where we come and we say, today it's not, we're not just going to, you know, Greek and Hebrew the, the, the Bible. Instead, we're going to throw God a party. We're going to be reminded of how good he is. And we're going to tell him how good he is. So maybe that uh, kind of reconfigures how we might think about, say, Christmas or Easter events, something like that. The bottom line, though, is that we have, in our contemporary culture, we have a deficit. It's a party deficit, a party-for-God deficit. And we as a community have to reason together about how we can re-engage this deep need that God has put in every single one of our hearts to really worship him and to just go for and just tell him how much we love him and praise him and bless him and thank him for his faithful love from generation to generation. And if we can do that, I think there might be something really compelling to the people who don't do church. If they could come and they could see that there really is a place where you can, it's not like you just worship, you know, your favorite rock star or your favorite celebrity, but you worship the, the God who created the universe. And you spend your time blessing and loving him with your whole heart, all of your emotions. I think that might be really really compelling. And it might show that we're not just spinning our wheels, but that we are actually worshiping a living, loving God. Let's pray. Gracious God, you are good. You have blessed us. We are thankful your love is faithful. It is relentless. It is committed. We have experienced it. God, stir up in our hearts a desire to respond. To ex- respond with, with exuberance. To celebrate you. To throw you a party. To enjoy each other as we enjoy you. God, thank you um, for your scriptures. Thank you for the opportunity to know your truth, to interpret it. God, I pray that we will be a people who don't simply know you, but also deeply and passionately love you. All this possible because Jesus has led us in, has freed us from sin, and brought us close to you by the power of his blood and the resurrection. In his name we pray, amen.